Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jared Murphy from City Limits. We're gathered here on the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. The official start of summer, the official start in some way of the summer campaign season in 2018, and in the immediate aftermath, afterglow, you might say, of the uh, state might. nominating conventions <laughs> this week for, uh, for really all the parties, including the two major ones and the, the Greens and WFP. Uh, uh, reform, reform as well. Lots Any, of them, everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone Almost everybody's almost got their everybody. nominees, yeah. Um, and so it's an interesting point in this uh, in this campaign where we can kind of take stock of, you know, the, the race has been shaping up for months. A lot of different names mentioned for a lot of different offices. Obviously a sudden shift in recent weeks opening up the AG's race as a storyline we didn't anticipate. Um, What's your general assessment, Ben, of sort of where we are now? What sticks out to you as interesting in the way of recent developments? Well, just by way of information, we now pretty much know what the ballots are going to look like for these four statewide positions. Um, and I say statewide positions, I'm putting aside the Gillibrand U.S. Senate seat. There is a race for that, but that's not really something we're getting into now. We're focused on governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, controller, right, for this discussion and most of our coverage in the state Senate and, and things at the state level. Um, so we pretty much know what the ballot's going to look like for those four statewide races, which is really important. We can now start to really look at the candidates, analyze, et cetera. There's still some things up in the air. Uh, there are some primary challenges, et cetera, but we pretty much know the pool. We can go into those details. Um, and then, you know, we see sort of also what already the key positions that people are staking out or how they're trying to frame the election, right? And how you know, the Republican Party is trying to frame it about a referendum on Cuomo. Cuomo is trying to frame it as a referendum on Trump and Republicanism, right? And how, just those different lenses. And then you have Cynthia Nixon also trying to frame things around Cuomo and his, you know, alleged failures or, or his Republicanism. So it's very fascinating how those storylines and narratives are are showing themselves. And then, as you said, the bombshell of having an attorney general contest that's wide open um, well, I guess it's a little less wide open than we thought it was going to be with the, with the way that um, people coalesced around Tish James, but that also totally changed things. And I think, as some people have noted, and I agree with it, it has been a big positive for Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, it has, and it, and it has. You know, that race has already kind of stretched across some of the other fault lines. You know, the. Um, place of the Working Families Party in our state politics and uh, and especially in kind of Cuomo's history. Uh, I thought it was very interesting, just to sort of a side note, that the, the legislature decided to stick with the acting Attorney General Barbara Underwood to fill out the interim, really kind of simplifying things a little bit and kind of putting this decision about who becomes the, you know, the, the politically selected person off until at least the September primary and November general election. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It was interesting choice. and it was like a, you know, as people have noted, a rare, smart move by the state right. legislature. Um, and, and not just smart, but, you know, like the above board right thing to do and not to do any political wheeling and dealing and not to give anyone an advantage in the election and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it was the right move and it's kind of refreshing to see that public pressure seems like it played a role and that, you know, they pay attention when the editorial boards are, are talking and things like that. Um, so this week we did have the conventions and the Republicans um, kind of were slated first. Um, there is no primary for a statewide office in that party. We have Mark Malinaro, the Dutchess County Executive, is the, uh, their gubernatorial nominee. Uh, Julie Killian 
as the lieutenant governor, um, Jonathan Trichter, who is an investment banker, as the comptroller nominee, and... Keith Wolford is the attorney general candidate. Very interesting. I was at the first day of the GOP convention in Manhattan. Um, that day, they were, you know, it was a, they had announced Killian as Molinaro's running mate on Sunday. They needed to get that out there because they were getting the Reform Party backing. Uh, so Molinaro and Killian will be on the Reform Party ballot line in, in November. Um, and then and then the first day of the convention, they decided to do the top of the ticket first, in part because they knew Cuomo was going on Thursday and they had the convention on the same two days, which was a bit silly. Um, but on that first day, they actually didn't know who their AG and controller candidates would definitely be. So that was interesting being being at the convention that, that Right, day. and there, there were other candidates in the race, who some of whom could have primary but pulled back, in part because uh, Wofford, the, the um, uh, AG uh, nominee, apparently has made history by being that he's the first African-American to be nominated by the Republicans in New York State for AG, and I think people sort of recognize that. I was interested in the selection of lieutenant governor just for a second. You know, we spoke to mm. Joe Borelli a couple weeks ago. His name and others were in the mix. Yeah. I expected there to be a downstate selection, um, but uh, selecting Julia Killian in addition to whatever other, you know, considerations about her own merits and stuff, um, putting a woman on the ticket... In, interesting choice in a year when you know there 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 will definitely be that dynamic in the Democratic primary and perhaps on general election day, depending on how long Cynthia Nixon goes. I do want to take a minute on this because I, th you know, who knows how important it is. I don't know that your lieutenant governor candidate matters that much, although you know it's sort of like the vice presidential running mate where maybe you can lock up some of a geographic area, as you're saying. You know, Killian is not really well-known. She just ran a state Senate race where she lost in a heavily Democratic district, but she lost for the second time. She's a former city council member from Rye and a deputy mayor from Rye, and that's the highest office she's held. It, it strikes me as a bit of a strange choice, um, but they might not have had great options um, if they really did want to make sure to put a woman on the ticket, which it seems like that was the overriding narrative, you know, behind the scenes for them and the overriding thinking, which I think makes sense because they do have three men and Killian as their four statewide candidates, although their U.S. Senate candidate um, is, is a woman as well, challenging Gillibrand. Um, but, you know, Killian is sort of from this area that's a, it's sort of this border of, of upstate and downstate. And that's how Molinaro talks about Dutchess County as well. So, you know, they, they certainly understand they need to get New York City votes, that was one of the first things that was said at the convention, is they have to get that magic 30% of, of the vote in New York City to win a gubernatorial or a statewide election. So they're aware of that, but I think they know this election, including the state Senate seats and the House seats that they need to win or hold, are all about the suburbs, you know, on Long Island, north of the city. And so that's, I think, part of the thinking, along with wanting diversity on the ticket mm -hmm. in, gen in terms of gender. Um, it's about the suburbs. So these conventions are largely um, played out for people like you and me and campaign donors and committee people from across the state. They're not something that most folks tuned into. Um, so it's a bit inside baseball, and the acceptance speeches follow a typical pattern, a lot of pageantry, some basically boilerplate language you have in there. But since they're what we have to talk about what these campaigns might look like, especially at the top of the tickets, we wanted to analyze a little bit the two 
uh, gubernatorial candidates' acceptance speeches from major parties, starting with Marcus Molinaro, the Republican. And here's a clip from his speech. It's actually a few passages that are close together, um, edited for, uh, for brevity. And so I stand before you today proudly, staking my claim to normalcy, to being an ordinary New Yorker. And I wear it. I wear it as a badge of honor and aspire to be nothing more. Humility is something I learned as a boy. It's hard not to feel that way when the cereal you're shoveling into your mouth before school is paid for with food stamps. When you listen to your single mom in her early 30s whispering into the phone with the electric company in hopes you won't hear her asking for the lights to be kept on until the money from babysitting comes in from another working mom struggling with her pills. Life growing up was real. There was divorce and abandonment. There were patches on, patches on the husky Wrangler jeans. But there was mostly faith and love. And it prevailed. We believed in ourselves and in one another. We believed in our neighbors. And most importantly, we believed in tomorrow. And we still do. So I tell you my background, not for effect, but for a far more important reason to me and hopefully you. I share my childhood because I refuse to cede compassion to the Democratic or Working Families Party or to anyone who falsely claims its mantle. That was uh, Mark Molinaro, and you know, this is something that uh, all candidates do, right? They try to connect, they talk about their humble roots, uh, it's very common. At one point in the speech, Molinaro actually, I think, inadvertently channeled uh, the elder President Bush uh, when he famously said, Mes message, colon, I care. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think Molinaro's story is, is interesting and I find it compelling because it is, it is, um, it is genuine. Um, he, he delivers it well. Um, it's a story that while uh, about a, a rough upbringing or a difficult upbringing, it's not unusual. You know, he wasn't the victim of some weird tragedy. There was no some disease that claimed anyone's life. It was a single mom struggling to put uh, food on the table. Um, and, uh, and I think that what's interesting, too, is about the Molinaro story after that is a, is a, a career, a life spent in government. Um, and the question that obviously is raised is to what extent does government play a role in helping people like that who currently exist in New York State. Morrow makes clear in the speech that, you know, we need a safety net. Um, but his critique is that the government's bloated and that we're taxing people who could use that money to better their own lives. He talked a little bit in the speech about what kind of reforms he wants to put in place, told us all to stay tuned. What he's apparently contemplating is some change to the property tax system. He expects sales tax revenue to grow. That always raises questions about who's going to be impacted more or less than that. Um, but uh, it, interesting, too, in the contrast that he is seeking to draw, primarily with Andrew Cuomo, but also obviously with Cynthia Nixon and her star power of kind of a regular guy and a guy who is very comfortable talking about himself and talking about his family, something that Andrew Cuomo is, except for allusions to his father and his tense relationship therein, not typically someone something he does. Yeah, I think Molinaro's candidacy is very interesting. I don't know, you know, one of the big challenges for the Republican Party, and this was, they're very open about this in talking to some of them uh, the other day, is 
getting him known. I mean, George Pataki, the last uh, Republican to win statewide in New York, spoke and introduced Molinaro, and basically... Sorry, Mark. <laughs> trying to get a word in edgewise again. <laughs> they, they, Pataki basically said that he came out of nowhere and they need someone to do that again. They're very much acknowledging that Molinaro is not anywhere near a household name in New York and they're, they have a huge task here. However, he also drew the parallel that he de defeated an incumbent Cuomo that New Yorkers, you know, in their mind had grown tired of. And that's basically what we're looking at again is this incumbent Cuomo who New Yorkers uh, have seen as ineffective, et cetera, et cetera, that they have someone who will be a refreshing alternative. Molinaro has a compelling personal story. He's interesting in that he's not giving, he's giving some typical sort of Republican talking points, but blending it with some other talk about understanding firsthand the need for the safety net and uh, about leading with compassion, and he talks a lot about, um, you know, we, when we went to his his campaign launch in Tivoli, of course, the famous Max and Murphy Roadshow episode. Um, you know, he 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 has a very uh, one of his signature programs is kind of executive is this Think Differently program about you know understanding people of all abilities and backgrounds and and disabilities, and you know that was very that was a very um, present theme on that first day as people were talking about him, the people who spoke, uh, several uh, elected officials or party officials that spoke leading up to Pataki and then Molinaro really spoke in very personal terms about Molinaro being basically just a good person. And they're obviously going to try to draw a contrast between Molinaro as a person and Andrew Cuomo as a person. Um, and Monaro is trying to thread this needle of of not totally being this um, you know the the type of politician we think of as a Republican, and you know he had some of his strongest lines about you know the the wealthy are no longer gonna you know be given handouts in New York, and it was just kind of interesting to to contrast that as he's critiquing a Democratic governor, and you know the Republicans are often seen as the more moneyed party. Some fascinating sort of blending of, of and blurring of the lines here. Definitely. And a critique that rests highly on criticizing Cuomo for his alleged corruption and the, the, the convicted corruption of some of his aides. Um, Another big theme. Yeah. A totally big theme. Yeah. You know, uh, what's interesting about how he will ultimately try to blend this sort of rejection of centralized government, this idea that taxation is part of the problem, with the, the yawning need in upstate New York for something to change, to change the trajectory of counties that have massive unemployment. Um, you know, whether that can be done merely by cutting taxes seems unlikely. Uh, what the answer to that is, um, you know, Governor Cuomo has put some ideas on the table. Many of them have not panned out, uh, casinos being one of them. Mm -hmm. The work in, in Buffalo and Rochester also think, think being part of that list. I wonder how far Marlon can get merely by criticizing Cuomo's uh, apparent corruption and how much he'll have to put other ideas in him. He has it, to. Might, it might be enough. I don't know. No, I don't. I mean, I, I just think there's no chance. You know, he, the way that the voter registration breaks down and the, and the focus on Trump and, you know, just all these things, he has to. And he did promise, as you already said, some bold plans. Now, it's not going to be enough to just do sort of tax and consolidation planning and how I'm going to reduce taxes and do a little more efficiency with the government. He's going to have to have some big, bold ideas that grab attention, that grab media attention. I mean, they can't run 
a boring, wonky campaign. You just can't. And he's got some personality. He, he delivered the speech fairly well. They had some audio issues in the room, but, but he delivers a speech really well and passionately. He's a good retail campaigner. Um, you know, they, they have an interesting ticket if they can raise enough money and get out there, but they're not, they're going to have to have some interesting ideas. It can't just all be rein in government, lower taxes, let the free market flourish. I just don't think that that will grab enough New Yorkers' attention. They need the moderates. They need the suburban, you know, swing voters. Um, and they need even some Democrats probably to win. Speaking of the Democrats, 24 hours later, we heard from the top of, of their ticket. Yeah, and Governor Cuomo, um, I mean, one thing also, being in the room at the GOB convention in Manhattan and watching just on, on video and live stream the Democratic convention on Long Island, the difference between the conventions was startling, and, it, and it's indicative of New York and the fact that you have a two-term incumbent Democratic governor, but one is in sort of this smallish ballroom where there was almost nobody there except for the delegates and some consultants. And then this Coliseum atmosphere, you know, on Long Island with Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and and Governor Cuomo. And of course, a lot of those seats are filled with members of labor unions and, you know, others that are part of the Democratic, you know, sort of machinery. But still, it, it was a startling uh, juxtaposition. And, you know, you had these big soaring speeches that were very nationally focused. Um, and uh, Governor Cuomo did, did some of that th uh, himself. And, and here's a clip of, of some of that. And what happened in the election is the middle class and the working families grew impatient with old style government because it's out of pace with their lives. We need to adjust. It's the Democratic Party that must adjust. No more platitudes, no more posturing, no more delay, no more incompetence, no more hypotheticals, no more hyperbole. They want action. They want results, and they want actions and results now. They don't want pontification from an ivory tower. They want help in their lives. Why? Because they are suffering. The middle class has been going backwards for 30 years in terms of real wages. Their mortgage goes up, the vehicle cost goes up, their taxes go up, but they're staying flat and they can't take it anymore. And the middle class in this country that voted for Trump didn't vote for Trump. They voted out of despair and desperation. They did it because they got tired of waiting for the Democratic Party to make a difference, and they grew impatient, and out of despair, they went for Trump. That's what we have to fix. The Democratic Party must counter the fool's gold sold by Trump, the constant tweet campaign promising immediate relief. The Democratic Party must reboot for the new reality. We must be the idea, we must be the party that has the ideas and the competence and the skill and the proven results. To so that's a little bit of Cuomo, as you can see, you know, that's only one portion of a much larger speech, but um, framing things nationally. And, you know, after the election in 2016, this is a, a while ago now, but in early 2017, when he did his State of the State speech and his agenda for 2017, you know, he again, he was talking middle class, the middle, you know, the Democrats have lost the middle class. And he 
has always been, you know, that's sort of hit, been a key part of his focus and his constituency, and that's clearly where his mind continues to be. It's interesting to hear that, you know, we've, we've seen in the past year or two Cuomo attacking uh, significantly toward the left, um, moving in the direction opposite from the early part of his governorship on minimum wages and on so many other things. Obviously, the challenge to him is coming from the left now with Cynthia Nixon and, and other people on the progressive side of the party. Hearing him talk about that, it's almost reminiscent of uh, the Bill Clinton presidency and reinventing government and the idea that, you know, uh, the party's out of touch and needs to present solutions, uh, which is obviously where Andrew Cuomo's sort of political coming out party as, as undersecretary and then as secretary of housing. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that. And then to have Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden kind of the deans of the establishment uh, Democratic Party in the room, it was almost as if, I wouldn't say Cuomo was tacking back toward the right or the center, but it definitely suggested that he is not, obviously not merely going to try to compete for the voters Cynthia Nixon is, is going for, but is trying to, to shoot for the big, the big fat middle where he's always lived. Yeah, he, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different situation, but there's a little bit of a parallel here with what I was saying about Molinaro. You know, Cuomo sort of wants to have the different elements of the Democratic Party that he, whatever he wants to claim, you know, and he on one hand is sort of saying nationally Democrats have lost their way, but saying we've continued to also, you know, he, he gave historical lists of how the Democratic Party has continuously reinvented itself and been there for people and how New York has continued to lead the way. So you're almost left wondering, well, what exactly is he saying went wrong? You know, I mean, he did indicate that there was there was not enough of a message of, of sort of what Democrats' ideas are. And, you know, this has been a common sort of critique of the Clinton campaign that I'm not sure is totally accurate, but, um, you know, he, he seeks because he is attacked for not being progressive enough. He seeks to sort of give his definition of what it means to really be progressive and say, I, that is me. I am that I've produced these policies in government. You have to actually get stuff done. It's not just about putting your wish list in a speech or on a chalkboard, you know? And so he, uh, both, all the, the speakers that praised him, including Clinton and Biden, and in his speech, he's trying to frame himself as a progressive who gets things done. And he talked even a little bit about how, you know, we've accomplished so much with the Republican state Senate. You know, imagine what we'll do moving forward. And it's funny because, of course, that's part of their critique from the left is that he's empowered that Republican state Senate. Right, exactly. It's interesting to have him, as you mentioned at the opening, focus on President Trump. Um, that's obviously a, a powerful tactic in a state that rejected the president um, by overwhelming margins in the election, and that is, if anything, trending to reject him even more heavily in the next one. But it also opens up the criticism that um, Cuomo has often had to run from, which is that he's running for president, and that he's a likely candidate for president 2020. That's obviously something Molinaro referred to in his speech. You know, how much are his ambitions about serving the people of New York versus his next audience, his next constituency? So this is an interesting choice there he's making to look at that national target, talk about New York. I mean, it's, it's odd, given that that critique is out there, for him to talk about Al Smith, FDR, <coughs> governors of New York who ran for president, one successfully, one not. And having Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden come into your it, yeah, convention. Maybe he's, yeah. I don't know if he's, he's willing to accept that, that 
that risk or that critique, it seems as though he is because he certainly is opening himself to that criticism. Yeah, it's strange because, you know, if you think that New York is a trailblazing national model, you know, you don't want to necessarily shy away from that. And some of these big sweeping policies, like, let's say, paid family leave that he moved through or marriage equality, although, you know, already seven years, you know, from that, um, the minimum wage increase, et cetera. You know, these are things that if you have done things that are largely unparalleled or or were, you know, within the first few states to do it, you want to boast about that and you want to make a comparison even to win your current election to what's happening in Washington because one of the most interesting elements of this election right now is that Cynthia Nixon and Mark Molinaro are saying a lot of the same things about Andrew Cuomo and that is just a fascinating uh, dynamic now, their solutions are very different in many cases, um, but some actually the same in terms of ethics reform and just having a different person with a different personality and a different way of being in the world as governor. And that's just something that I continue to be interested in and fascinated by. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's not doing anything to sort of tamp down the idea that he might run for president. So we should mention, too, that the, um, uh, the Green Party had their convention this week. Uh, nominated Howie Hawkins, whom they nominated in 2014 to run for governor, uh, Mark Dunley for uh, comptroller, uh, Michael Sussman for attorney general, and Gia Lee for lieutenant governor, and they'll be on the ballot too, and I think the Reform Party... Yeah, so, so we yeah, let's definitely, we can run down for folks, you know, what, what the ballot looks like. You just went through the Greens. Um, you know, it seems like the conservative party will basically just be cross-endorsing the Republican slate. Um... The Reform Party is going, you know, sort of with a mix. They, the Reform Party is backing Molinaro and Killian, the Republican top of the ticket. <laughs> they have told Preet Bharara, the former U.S. attorney, that they want him to run for attorney general. But then they also put a few other names on the primary ballot. So there will be a attorney general primary for the Reform Party nomination. And I think there's something like 2,000 people registered with the Reform Party in all of New York State. Um, but they have a ballot line. Um, and then for controller, they went with DiNapoli. DiNapoli is going to be on almost every ballot line. Um, we know the Working Families Party has done some different things, but we know they have Cynthia Nixon and Jamani Williams at the top of their ticket, uh, DiNapoli as well, and then they're sort of leaving the AG question open for either Zephyr Teachout or Tish James to see what happens in the Democratic primary for Attorney General. Certainly something we're going to dig into more on this podcast. We want to you know, see what's going to happen. Tish James came out of the Democratic convention with the backing of the party. Zephyr Teachout says she's going to try to get the signatures to be on the primary ballot. Leisha Eve also uh, says she's going to look to petition to get on the ballot. She's a former Cuomo and Clinton world person. So that's something to watch. Uh, Who else are we? The Women's Equality Party is starting to make their nominations. Again, they got you know, Cuomo created this party in 2014, largely to undermine the WFP and Teach Out, who was challenging him then. And they've come out and said that, you know, so so the Women's Equality Party, when he created in 2014, got the 53-ish thousand votes that they needed to keep the ballot line or have the ballot line. So now they get to make nominations as well. And they've gone with Cuomo, Hochul, and DiNapoli, and they haven't announced their AG pick yet. Um, so we're waiting to see 
And these ballot lines do matter. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, these are names on the ballot and people can see, oh, women's equality, like that that's appealing to me. Maybe I'll go there. I, I don't know how some people make their decisions in the, in the ballot booth. Right, obviously, and especially with Cynthia Nixon being Working Families Party, we have the possibility of, uh, you know, three or four way uh, general election after the after the primary is done. Which is yeah, I mean, well, there's going to be, yeah, I think at least four or five candidates, you know, the... Um, I should have mentioned also the Independence Party, which I think is you know almost non-existent around the state, but they but they continue to have the ballot line. They have, I think, something like one hundred fifty or two hundred thousand people registered with the party because people think they're signing up to be a an independent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they've gone with Cuomo again. I think there may be. Uh, I'm not sure who else is going to be appear on their ballot line at this point. Um, and then the Libertarian Party doesn't have a guaranteed ballot line, but they always petition somebody onto the ballot. They have Larry Sharp as their gubernatorial candidate. So there's going to be yeah at least four four or five names on the on the ballot in November. But I think there are a lot of questions about what happens with Cynthia Nixon if she isn't successful in the Democratic primary. The WFP might make some maneuvers, but we can ask her about that when she appears on the podcast and. and Talk talk about that a bit further. So, uh, just to to wrap up, we're we're heading into it's a semi Memorial Day weekend. It's almost noon. I've been mentally checked out for hours. You look <laughs> like you're still into it, but uh, you know. So now we have this long campaign, summer campaign, as you said, the, the table set for Democratic primaries, a Reform Party primary, and of course the general election. Uh, and in terms of storylines, there are, there are dozens of them to look at. We'll wait to see what Mark Milanaro says about certain policy issues. Um, we'll wait to see how the attorney general race shapes up, fascinating among, on the Democratic side, maybe three very interesting women um, in, in kind of what people are expecting might be the, the year of the woman because of all the, all the news about, um, about the Me Too movement and, and the in, in incredible systemic wrongdoing by male politicians. Um, what I'm most interested by is you have Andrew Cuomo, a controlling politician and masterful politician with a lot of money, but you have these two big storylines that he cannot control. The corruption trial of his, his uh, former associate, uh, Mr. Caleros from the Polytechnic Institute, and the subway system and how it fares over the summer. A chief talking point for Cynthia Nixon, a kind of a big talking point for Mark Molinaro, yep. and affecting those downstate votes that are really critical to anybody who wants to unseat Cuomo, whether it's from the Democratic left or from the Republican Party. I think it's fascinating. Every time that there is a slowdown announced on your Notify NYC, um, someone in the Cuomo camp is going to be worried about it. So I think you hit on one thing that I'm very interested in, which is, I'm interested to see how this GOP ticket actually runs this campaign. A, do they have a real robust campaign effort and can they really like get some attention, you know, from Molinaro on down or maybe just Molinaro. Maybe, they, maybe they're going to concede that they won't have a really competitive AG race or controller race, but can Molinaro and Killian really make a go of it at the top of the ticket? They might need to just dedicate their resources there. We'll see. But even on what you just said, how much is Molinaro in New York City riding the subway, for example, and making that a key campaign issue? Or, and that might not even be a smart strategic choice. I don't know. They have to make, you know, we have to dig into those numbers and they have to figure out how do you get to that magic 30% in New York City. So that will be very interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated about how Molinaro does, what their strategy looks like, um, and how that goes forward. And can he get any attention now 
while Nixon and Cuomo battle it out. You know, he might be sort of sidelined until after the primary, which would be not great for the for the GOP. The other thing I'm watching certainly is that Nixon Cuomo primary. Can she really get things going again now that the AG situation sort of bumped her off the front pages a little bit? And now that she didn't do very well at the convention, which was fairly expected, but, you know, Cuomo got 95% of the convention vote, again, his state committee, basically. Um, But where does she go now? How does she get things going again? What are her policy proposals? How does she continue to make a splash? She's obviously going to continue to get a lot of media attention. And then lastly, um, actually, no, two more things. (laughs) One more how does this Tish James attorney general race go, as you said? How does the Tish James-Andrew Cuomo relationship shake out? Because he clearly wanted her to be the AG candidate. He clearly is very happy to have a woman of color on the ticket. Um, this helps him potentially immensely in the in the primary against Cynthia Nixon. Um, so we'll see, but we'll see what that relationship looks like because Cuomo is notorious for not keeping good relationships. Um, And then lastly, we can't forget about the challengers to the IDC members or the former IDC members. Those are going forward. Cuomo and others in the state party have rallied around the former IDC members, not that they've returned to the fold, but um, where is that head? Because September 13th is primary day and that's not that far away. That's right. It is 165 days from today to election day, okay. which by my math gives us the chance to do at least 20 of these shows. Yes, perfect. So listeners, please <laughs> call in with ideas, um, but plenty of time to hash all that out. Um, and uh, wishing everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend and thanking our veterans for their service.